Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash saint14project. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Project Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sentinel Dad, also known as Alex, and with me this week is, as always, is uh, Dr. Goku and uh, Average Joe. What's up, dudes? What's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Not much. Same old, same old. Dave, still not back, but we anxiously await his um, return in the next month or so. But yeah, no, same old, same old. It's all good. Um, but we're not alone because we have an amazing person. I'm super excited to have her on the show voice actor, stage actor, all sorts of craziness, and she's amazing. Uh, Courtney Taylor's here. What's up, Courtney? Hi. I'm so excited to take over for Dave. Yes. <laughs> for much, um, Dave, I'm just, just going to go. I'm going to be forward. I'm just going to come out and say it. You're a much more attractive Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? This is what happens when you don't show up for work. I'm going to be there, and I'm going to take <laughs> over. So, guys, it may be me from now on, forever and ever. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. <laughs> Dave would be fine with it, too. <laughs> yeah, he's fine with it. He's such an adorable little fanboy. <laughs> he was so heartbroken he couldn't get on tonight. He, was, uh, he actually tried to take vacation. He just started a new job with a new contract and everything, and he tried to take some vacation time because he's such a huge fan of yours and is – one of his uh, favorite characters out of all of the uh, games that he plays is Amanda Holiday, and he was so stoked, but they actually withdrew his vacation at the last minute, so he had to go into work. So he was heartbroken. Oh, that sucks. He needs a new job. He does already. <laughs> what was uh, he asked us to ask you something? Uh, oh, sparrow racing. Yeah, he wants you to say sparrow racing in the Amanda Holiday voice. Sparrow racing? Sparrow racing. Sparrow racing? Yeah, in the Amanda Holiday voice. I guess it's one of his favorite lines. He's adorable. Just, really, come on, big guy, just do something isn't up there. It's just sparrow racing? (laughs) I guess. All right, Dave, there's your sparrow racing. (laughs) <laughs> uh, i mean really you had one wish and that's what you went with okay <laughs> perfect D- uh so what um before we get going with the show you know we we, we did um uh want to ask you a few questions about um your career and your background a bit so what uh, what initially got you into uh acting and specifically voice acting um, well, I, I started out, I, I took an acting class in college because I thought it would be really easy. <laughs> I needed to bring my GPA up. Um, and it was not easy. And my acting teacher was mean. And, um, and so I like a challenge. And so I continued to take acting classes in college. And um, 
And then I started studying at uh, the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. And I went to um, audition for a school in New York. And I went in with my audition pieces and I did them. And at the time I was teaching a lot of fitness classes. I think I was teaching like 18 classes a week or something crazy where I would teach, you know, basic boxing stuff to people because I had done some pretty serious boxing training when I was younger. And, um, but we taught, you know, we had classes in this really big um, basketball court that was super echoey and my, my microphone would always go out. And so my voice was, you know, it, it had some vocal nodes, but he basically just trashed me and said I had a terrible voice and that I wouldn't be able to do theater, um, you know, with a voice like that. And um, so I left and I was really upset and I went to, back to one of my teachers because um, I put a lot of effort into, you know, preparing all this stuff and he kind of just discounted me immediately. And um, she said, I think, you know, you have an interesting voice. You might want to look into doing some voice acting classes. And I didn't know what it was. Um, it had never occurred to me that people really did, you know, voiceovers for as far as I knew, it was just commercials. So I went and I took a class because I thought, oh, that, that sounds neat. Um, it can't hurt. And then I just loved it. I got behind the mic and it felt like everything that I had, you know, done as a kid, all the stuff that I liked playing pretend and, you know, reading aloud and uh, imitating my parents and accents and stuff like that all kind of came coalesced. And so I went, um, I kept taking class with this woman and she sent me out for a commercial audition and I booked it and I thought, well, you know, that's, that's a sign. And I just kept pushing. And so I um, just was super persistent with everybody, <laughs> bugged the crap out of them, I'm sure. And then I, you know, finally started getting some traction and then I moved to Los Angeles and things got very much worse before they got better. But <laughs> eventually I stopped waiting tables and um, was able to do this full time. That's awesome. I make it that? sound like it's super easy, but it, it's not. I mean, it's really not. But it was also a long time ago when, you know, not a lot of people do it. And so um, I think I sort of found my way into it maybe easier than it is now. But, yeah, it was definitely one of those things where I was just like, oh, this is my jam. Let's do this. <laughs> Van, now, now, over all the roles you've done, which, like, if, if I sat here and listed everyone and, like, which property they're from, like, this would be, like, a three-hour show. Um, <laughs> like, which – <laughs> Over the years, like which one of those that was, uh, you know, if you had to pick one as your favorite, which one would that be? It's really hard to pick a favorite, not because of any kind of political things, but because mm -hmm. you get different. I mean, I, I say like, oh, you can't choose which one of your children. I'm like, I don't have kids. I could definitely choose which <laughs> dog is my favorite <laughs> at any given moment. But well, um, I have kids uh, and, and I can tell you which one's my favorite. <laughs> I mean, you go through phases and stuff too. Like I definitely, there's a lot of, you know, well-known characters. Obviously I loved playing Jack. Amanda's amazing. Um, there, uh, I loved playing Juhani in Knights of the Old Republic because I got to, um, you know, start messing around with accents. And when I say messing around, mess is heavy <laughs> oh, wow. because I was, you know, just starting to, to learn that kind of stuff at that point. So that was super fun. I did a game called, um, Destroy All Humans 2, where I got to do uh, this character named Natalia, and it's like a 50s campy space alien 
movie. Right. Uh, I mean, video game. And, uh, and like, it, there's tons of like innuendo and it's, it's very kind of, you know, one of those fifties space movies. So that was really fun and campy. Um, and I got to work with amazing, uh, you know, writers and director on that. So each thing kind of has its, um, if you're not in like, you're either behind the scenes, you're having so much fun or the characters written really well, or you're doing something that you haven't done before. You know, you might be doing the mocap or the face tap for that character. And so technically you're learning something that you haven't learned before. Um, Or you're, you know, coming back and doing like ADR stuff for that character. So you're having to challenge yourself by matching yourself and the lip flap and stuff. So there's a million different reasons. I think I think Jack from Mass Effect has one of the most interesting backstories. Jack's a really um, cool, really cool character. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big Mass Effect and, fan. And, yeah, and the time you know the time that she came out, like what female characters were like in 2012, I guess it was maybe 2012. Uh, 2010. I think it was prior to that. Yeah, it was uh, Mass Effect two, so that was 2010, I believe. Thank you. 2010. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it also just depends on the context of, like, when did this character come out? I mean, some of the fact that Juhani is, uh, you know, bisexual and Jack is pansexual and, you Mm -hmm. know, there are elements to these characters that that were pretty rare at the time. Now, not so much, but, you know, but it is, it's really hard to choose. Um, You know, in Fallout, that was really special because I got to, I got to do the game from the beginning to the end, you know, and so rarely do we get to do that as, you know, NPCs or, you know, people who are kind of just jumping on the bus for a few stops and then jumping back off. So right. it was great to be able to, to see, you know, so much of the process. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, so now for now, do you, do you play, play games as well? Have you played any of the games that you've um, done, done work for? I am, uh, I'm not great at it. I tend to get into the character creation part of things. And then once I figure out how I look, <laughs> usually Aesthetics. I start just ordering people. Yeah. Ordering, <laughs> you know, I spend way too much time on like, you know, how wide apart are my eyebrows on this character? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, but it's, I'm, I'm terrible. I have a, I, I have made a blood pact with um, Sissy Jones, who plays who's the voice of Sloan, um, that we are going to get busy on the PS4 that she just bought. Oh, fantastic. That's start, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to start like, she was like, hey, racing. I'm doing this, this game called After Party, and you basically have to like out drink the devil to get out of hell. And I'm like, oh, can we start with that game? <laughs> Because like it's not super, you know. Because all the all the games that you know my family brings home are all like you know Call of Duty, which that's not a beginner game. No, not so much. <laughs> I need something very, very like minimal. So I try, but nice. it's pretty bad. <laughs> I've had people walk up to me at conventions and be like, "Hey, I saw you trying to play that thing, and it's pretty bad, pretty embarrassing." I'm like, "Yep, <laughs> not a strong point." <laughs> Just gonna yep. go back to reason the lion. Thanks. Thanks for your support. 
Um, now, now, uh, most of the roles that you record for, do you, do you do that in the studio as far as voice acting or, or do you do it at home or is it all, all, all depending on the contract? Uh, I never work from home on games. Um, gotcha. games yeah. are very much, I mean, the, the stuff that I've been, uh, fortunate enough to work on has been pretty big budget stuff. They're not going to let me screw up anything from home. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like, you come here you just talk you don't try and push buttons um because you know a lot of it is it there's a ton of lore and stuff that you're processing like we come in and we kind of in the moment you got to be a really good cold reader if you want to be <laughs> in video games because you know there's so much there's so much material that we're not it's not made available to us and and we really you know we need a director to sort of get all of that information together and kind of spit it out in small bites for us because, you know, especially like on something like a, a game like Fallout or something that has hours and hours and hours, you have to give us all the, you know, script and, you know, probably take a college course for a couple right. of semesters in order to, you know, um, get all that information. So it's much more efficient and, uh, you know, Obviously, I work with some of the, the greatest people who make games, so I wouldn't want to do it from home, even if I had the choice. Gotcha. It's the only time I get to see people, okay? <laughs> Socialize. I'm just alone in my booth all the time, just auditioning for things, and I want to get out and make, get to see people and eat free food. <laughs> Why do we do it? I just want catering. Um, it's I am not kidding. Like I, I am that girl who will show up like an hour and fifteen minutes early because I know they are making breakfast. <laughs> I love it. It's not a glamorous life, people. It's not a glamorous <laughs> life. We're like you, voice actors are all about the food. Um, We're just like, hey, food is free food. Like, be a t-shirt. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm taking this this turkey avocado home. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no. There's a couple of uh, there's a couple of places that we record that have um, there's a chef. Uh, it, it's it's very much for like advertising stuff. It's not for us. It's not for the voice actors. B believe me, um, it's for the people who are paying the voice actors. But um, yeah, there's a one recording studio over in Santa Monica that I I literally it takes me an hour to get there, and I will leave like the day before to get there because their food is so good and they actually let us eat it while we're working and they're like okay you're done and I'm like uh-huh but I don't have another session for two hours so can I stay here and eat lunch please <laughs> <laughs> just like being in college guys just like being in college <laughs> some um so it's you know you, you kind of talk about like how like um like working with the studio when uh you uh, play these roles so what, what obstacles does voice acting produce that maybe on screen or stage acting doesn't well you know it's uh, the difficulties around it or the challenges around it are that you know a lot of the time and and it's different in each kind of area of uh, I mean specifically to game acting it's that a lot of the time we don't know the context and we don't mm -hmm. have a lot of time to make choices so I'll go in, there are games I work on that have pretty extensive vocabulary and we work so quickly on them that as I'm reading them, the lines for the first time as they're recording my first take. So uh, 
in sixth grade, my English teacher made all of us do a speed reading course. And I want to go back and kiss her on the mouth for that because she, I am sure, gave me a tool that I use on the daily because I, you know, I go in and nothing is linear. You know, people say like, oh, they shoot movies out of order. We do entire scenes that are out of order. We will jump back and forth. We will go from, you know, getting your baby out of cryo freeze to getting thrown off a building to talking to the president of the United States in a session. Um, so having, you know, emotional availability and being a very fast reader <laughs> can be really, really helpful. Um, I almost sometimes don't know what to do with myself if I have a lot of time. Like, I just, my, my brain is calibrated now to just kind of get in there and be like, okay, I see this, this, and this is going on. This is how I'm reacting to it. Let's go. Um, so that can be tricky. Um, you know, vocabulary, uh, having to create a whole world and really do justice to things that you, I mean, it's a real exercise in faith in your director. And, you know, sometimes people try to skip having an actual voice director in games. And I, and I, you know, really encourage companies to employ a, a game director that is specifically for, you know, that's what they do because, um, you absolutely have to have a very trusting relationship where I'm going to, they're going to tell me the circumstances or I'm going to be able to read a little bit or know a little bit about the scene. And then I'm just going to have to give them as honest a reaction or, as you know, play things as honestly as I can. And then they will make selects and put it all together. But my job is to fucking, oh, sorry, <laughs> is to uh, 100% go all in for whatever this, you know, the stakes and circumstances are that I know. And, um, you know, so if you're not, if, if you feel safe um, and a good director will make you feel safe, you absolutely can just be like, all right, let's do this. I am 100% losing my kid right now. I am 100% watching my husband die in front of me or, you know, I've been isolated for 14 days and that's where we're starting in this scene. Let's go. So it allows you to just kind of really, embrace those extreme stakes um, or also just embrace that you're doing some exposition while your character's walking and you're, you know, there are very little stakes. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, now one last thing before we kind of got going with like our mental health topic and stuff. Um, now you um, had like a, you suffer from a vocal cord hemorrhage. And like when, mm -hmm. when, when you hear those words, most people think, oh my God, they must like strain their vocal cords so hard. They utter out this shriek, scream or yell that it just like hemorrhage. But like you, right. yours wasn't that. No, it's, it's really, um, it can be something where it, everyone's different. It's really hard to create metrics around vocal mm -hmm. stress or, you know, strain and that, people have different vocal qualities. Obviously I have a deeper register and some texture to my voice. So I'm not going to hear things sounding so much different as somebody like, you know, one of my uh, really good friends, Julie Nathanson um, does some voice work for princess bell. She has a very high, clear operatic voice and 
someone like that really, you know, I think that kind of damage shows up much more clearly for someone who has more of a contrast in their voice. For me, um, it's always been about uh, repetitive strain. So it's not like in the middle of a scream, you know, my vocal cord snapped or something like that. Um, And so, you know, it's really the more I, the more I learned about it because I was definitely one of those people that was like, meh, you know, if you can't do this without straining your voice, don't do it. And then I right. hemorrhaged my vocal cord and I, I literally was having panic attacks because mm-hmm. I, it, you know, you can permanently damage your vocal cords and this is how I make my living. And so it was incredibly stressful a couple of months while I was recovering and, mm-hmm. so um, what- and I didn't even hear it really you know julie was actually the one that was like hey your voice sounds funky and i'm like hey it always sounds funky and she's like no i'm hearing this kind of squeakiness and she's stayed on me and a couple days later she's like i'm still hearing it you need to go to the doctor and i went to the doctor and they were like oh yeah there it is wow so what you had mentioned what while you were recovering so what like i mean i mean most people don't think as like their voice um as something that needs to heal it's just a constant but for you that's um when you went through this so what did your recovery involve with that well yeah i mean people don't think about it and i didn't think about it either until i started working with the i'm going to mispronounce it it's an auto laryngologist mm-hmm. um over at cedars who was treating me um and she talked a lot about um there's actually repetitive stress on your vocal cords, your vocal cords, you know, you damage them and sometimes you're not going to be able to undamage them. We have like a clear, now this is, you know, don't quote me on this because I'm not a doctor, but I'm paraphrasing, but we have the kind of clear gel that coats our cords and it is a finite amount of it. And if you continue to damage your vocal cords, that gel dissipates and it, there is no way to replace it. Um, you can, I met a woman who had paralyzed her vocal cord permanently while I was in recovery. I, I've never, I've literally never met anyone who had a permanently paralyzed vocal cord. Uh, I met two in the time that I was recovering. And I was like, man, this is the universe telling me to take this really seriously because I had never come across anyone. And the way that they were talking was like this. It was such a brutal sound, um, and that that's it. Like, they're stuck like that. And so I took it really seriously. I was on vocal rest, no talking at all, for a total of, I think, three weeks. Um, how, I, I mean, was how, not allowed to do... How, how, how awkward was that? Like, just not, is, not speaking you, for three weeks you should try not talking for an afternoon and actually trying to get through your life because we don't even, I, I would have to email a, a woman I had to hire for as my assistant because I would have to email her so she could return my phone calls for me. Oh, wow. Um, and make appointments for me and stuff because it was complete vocal silence and people, I would go into stores to try and buy something. I was in target. And I had my phone and I was typing what I needed on my phone and the guy thought I was deaf. And I was like, I'm not, 
hearing impaired, I just can't talk. Or people would automatically start talking to you like this. <laughs> and I'm like, I can hear. I just can't talk. Um, I would cry because I was so frustrated. Um, right. You just, you can't get anything done. It cuts your living time by half easily. You just can't pick up the phone, you know, and texting is great, but you know, Sometimes having you to get up and walk over to somebody yeah. and show your phone or show them a piece of paper to ask them to, you know, uh, defrost the chicken or, you know, just the simplest of tasks. So I'm definitely much more um, aware of it and have worked really hard to let other actors and the people who hire us, you know, know that this is, this is real and it's not just actors. Um, and you can really, really damage yourself. And so the more we get to know about um, our limitations as actors and just as people that we can, um, uh, you know, we can create better product in games. If you're screaming your face off in a four hour session by hour two, by the time hour two is wrapping up, you're, there's diminishing returns. You're not going to get a lot out of hours three and four because you're just exhausted. Yep. So we've worked with a lot of people in the industry to start changing up how we do our vocally stressful work, how we um, change our sessions up. I'm working on a game right now where instead of having me for four hours, uh, they have me and another actress and we do chunks of dialogue. Like I'll do it like 10 lines and then she'll do the 10 lines and then I'll do another 10 and she'll do another 10. And it's worked out great. Um, so it's really just a matter of like using different techniques to figure out how we can get the best performances for the game companies and, you know, how they can not have to suffer financially because, you know, we need to have things run a little bit differently. Gotcha. Um, well, awesome. Well, th th thank you for um, taking time to answer those. Um, I know we had, we're on like a limited timetable with you. So, um, uh, Joe or Dr. Goku, did you have any, any other uh, questions for Courtney? Uh, <laughs> you want to uh, talk about my panic attack? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> I have them. No? Awesome. Well, we, well uh, let's, on that topic, uh, <laughs> it, it's the doctor in me that's coming out, but uh, with the panic attacks, any of them relevant to your work in voice acting? Um, you know, for me, the ones that I had obviously were about not working anymore because I was feeling like um, it, it is really a, a complete mind F to not be able to talk, especially when it's your livelihood. And so I, I really was in a dark place around then. But in general, um, you know, it's for me, voice acting is a really super safe place. It's uh, it's funny, like people are always like, well, don't you want to do real acting? And I'm like, I feel like this is real acting. And also, <laughs> I, you know, being on a set, I mean, I do it, but if I have my druthers to be on a set being watched by a hundred people while I'm doing the thing, or if I'm just like in my own little world, like when I was a kid, like, you know, making stories up, I'm like, the booth is a pretty happy place for me. <laughs> it it kind of makes me think of, an interview that Andy Serkis had a while ago where he said that motion capture and voice acting are a liberating experience where you can play anything and it doesn't matter what you look like. You can play 
any character. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I find that, you know, obviously the majority of my work has been in voice acting and it's, it's hard because I do the whole idea of having to like sit still and let the camera do its work um, in on camera stuff is it's hard to like open up the box of voice acting and be able to like, you know, you're making farting noises and you're screwing up your face in different ways and you're, you know, cracking jokes and stuff. And, um, and then you're, you're doing the work, but it's very much a quick in and quick out, you know, like the whole thing of when you open the box of like on camera acting, like they're touching your face and they're brushing your hair and they're looking at you really up close. And, um, you know, you got to remember your lines and there's in, in all the ways that it's great that you actually have someone else to play off of. And that's really fun, but it's also like, uh, it's just so separate between like, I get to decide what the other person is saying a lot of the time in my, you know, it truly is sort of my, the movie going on in my mind when I'm in the booth Mm -hmm. versus there's a lot of like, you know, you kind of like come to on the set and you're like, ah, people are looking at me. What's happening? Where'd you guys all come from? Why are you in my booth? (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, it's just a different skill set, but I definitely feel like obviously from the years of experience and just, you know, the, the fun stuff that goes on in my head, I feel more comfortable behind the mic probably than, probably than anywhere, honestly. Nice. And that's what matters. You got to be comfortable with what you do and what you're doing. Yeah, I, I and I also you can it's true you really do. Andy's not wrong. That guy's gonna go far. Um, <laughs> you you do get to play all kinds of stuff that you know I, I I play certain characters on camera and I none of them are superheroes. None of them are you know people who have biotic powers or you know are in some insane wasteland. They're you know, a lady who got her kid stolen or a prostitute who's sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, we are, uh, we're super excited that, that you're here and that we finally <laughs> got you on here. Um, but uh, like, I, like I said earlier, I know you're kind of on borrowed time. Um, but uh, this week for our, we're going to, with, uh, the wonderful Courtney Taylor here. We're going to do our character analysis on Amanda Holiday, one of the characters she has portrayed. And we're going to tie that in with our mental health topic, which is going to be childhood trauma. We're not going to go too, too deep into it. Mm-hmm. We're going to kind of... Uh, oh, yes, we are. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come back every week. Um, no, but, uh, I'm like, I think every one of the characters I've played has had severe, severe childhood trauma. So, <laughs> <laughs> What does that say about you? No. Um, no. <laughs> but uh, I'm an amazing actress. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but Dr. Gary, why don't you take us through your character analysis and our mental health topic? Take it away. Sure. So we're going to go through the, the character analysis first, just because we can kind of tie that into uh, the mental health topic. So this week's character is Amanda Holiday, uh, a very underutilized character in destiny 2 if i must if i must say we need more Thank amanda you. holiday in the game i agree 100 percent. right your developers <laughs> uh 
So the character that we all uh, now know um, is not the same as she was prior to patch 2.0 in the original Destiny. You may be able to tell us a little bit more about that, but after patch 2.0, the character sported a much different outfit and a different type of personality. Her, her eyes were not crossed? Uh, yeah, that's one thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she had a the me- mechanical right leg. Uh, she was a uh-huh. lot more quippy, a lot more joking, and uh, developed a new type of relationship with the one-horned exo-vanguard. <laughs> so Amala, Amanda Holiday is... Um, is the person who gardens sea for all things jump ships and sparrows, as well as SRL. However, before this, uh, she had a rather difficult life stemming from her time as a refugee who was trying to reach the last city during the Dark Ages. The group of scavengers and refugees protected by Nora, Amanda's mother, and her shotgun, the chaperone, took much time to get to the city. During the, her rough childhood, Amanda learned a lot about fixing up vehicles and a love for anything that was mechanical. Her mother was killed during, uh, uh, while she was trying to protect the group and was buried with her trusty shotgun. When they were, uh, only, a, they were only a days and a half away from the tower, Amanda's father was also killed, which left her the only survivor. Her love of all things tech and flight led her down the path of becoming the tower shipwright. She's also a very skilled pilot, which led her to also play an integral part in the resistance against Gaul in the Red War. This character has been through uh, incredible amounts of loss and trauma throughout her life, uh, from the death of her mother and father to the thousands of lightless guardians that fell, or even more so the loss of Cade Six, someone that was very dear to her. Being born on the outside of the city walls in the wild has also led Amanda to have difficulties conforming to certain rules when it, uh, they, she sees that it's interfering with the objective at hand. We see this with her saying to Cade that stealing Eris's ship was okay and she'll put that down as a training exercise or bribing us to help us obtain the chaperone during the crucible contest. While trauma and loss have been prevalent in her life, uh, we, must also, we must also take away her resilience and abilities to cope, often with humor, with the countless difficulties she's faced. While guardians can be resurrected by their ghosts, non-lightbearers can't, which makes her resilience that much more remarkable. For the character, what other insights can you provide for Amanda Holiday? Um. I mean, you, that's, that's, I don't have any, like, how the sausage is made stuff from behind the scenes too mm-hmm. much. I mean, what you guys know is what, what I know. I, um, I, I, and I, I find her really interesting. I find that the whole story of her interesting. I think it's really timely right now, um, of everything that's going on mm-hmm. here in our country. And I, uh, as, um, as somebody whose parents are immigrants, I definitely um, could relate to her feeling like an outsider and um, having having to kind of u- utilize whatever skills she had as a kid to kind of keep her um, 
kind of keep her, you know, I talked a little bit about like my imagination as a kid, um, that it all kind of kicked in for me uh, to do voiceover um, because we were not particularly well, you know, we were, I, I grew up pretty poor and we didn't have a lot of toys and stuff to, you know, like fancy camps and stuff like that. So I used a lot of my imagination and the stuff that I, that I played with as a kid to kind of inform what, you know, what I do now. Um, and I, so I love the part of the story of her lore that she's, you know, that's how she started out was, you know, traveling and, and sort of entertaining herself and her friends mm-hmm. by um, getting into, that's how she got interested in flying. And I loved that, you know, they had that trailer with her, you know, seeing, flight for the first time and you you realize that's her and how much of a heavy imprint that that made on her um so it, it just showed in a part of the lore it showed um a character that we never really heard of uh lucia which was amanda's friend and that they built mm-hmm. uh, just lights to decorate the drop ship that they were staying in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she um now I'm uh, I'm also a little rusty on my on my lore, but that you know that was how she started learning how to build things, and mm-hmm. um, and I could totally relate to that as a kid. I totally relate to like you know I mean all kids are are great at doing stuff like that. You know you give give a kid a gift and then they play with the box because oh, their imagination is the greater. Yeah, um, you know so. Uh, I, I, there's still a lot of things I don't know about her. And I, I mean, I hope we, we get to know more about her. You know, I'm super curious about her tattoo. Um, for the longest, I was like, she's got a mechanical leg guys. Does anyone want to know about the mechanical leg? I want to know where she got the mechanical leg. <laughs> yeah. There's, I think there's, they've definitely put some, some interesting things about her that still need to be explored, but you know, um, I privy to any information as to why the complete redesign of the character. You know, I don't know. I I don't know if it it ended up a lot of the time in games. Either they'll have a different team take over for like the second, you know, for the uh, you know, the next game or the DLC or something like that. So sometimes it can be the writers have changed. Sometimes. You know, it could be any sort of of thing on the other side. Maybe they just wanted to, you know, focus on her being easier to kind of bring forward. I I was under the impression that you know she was getting more um, sort of airtime, so mm-hmm. they spruced her up a little bit. And um, but yeah, they don't. You know, it's unfortunate in certain respects that you know there's lots of stuff that I would love to know, but I also because I'm not privy to the stuff that I'm not supposed to know. I would rather know less <laughs> so I don't get fired. Um, but uh, yeah, they don't, they don't share that stuff so much. In fact, I mean, I, I vaguely knew what Amanda looked like, but we don't usually, or at least in my experience, I haven't, with the exception of like Jack um, and Mass Effect, did they say like, Hey, this is what she's going to look like. What do you think of this new iteration of her? Um, that was kind of the only time. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm, as, I'm excited for them to flesh out her story for sure. 
Um, and I, and I think sometimes, and I don't know if this is true at all, but sometimes, you know, they have an idea of what the character is going to be like, and then they cast you and then sort of whatever you bring to the party, they'll start writing for you because they, sometimes the writers will be on the line when you're doing the stuff and they'll start laughing and being like, Oh, she's pretty good at the sarcastic stuff or, you know, um, he lands that emotional stuff really beautifully. So let's put in more of that. So I know she got, she definitely got a a little sassier. Yeah, she, she really did. And one thing it kind of leads us to the mental health topic is with her childhood trauma and her, her sass, her, her quippiness kind of is a way for her to indirectly deal with trauma. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's a major coping skill. I did take some psychology classes in college, guys, so please have a seat. Um, <laughs> um, I know all about I mean, Pavlov. Yeah. Um, that, uh, I mean, that's why so many comedians are so funny you know but so many of them have had like really terrible experiences because that's that's how you hide things that's how you deflect so I think maybe they and this is pure speculation on my part but you know maybe they just developed her storyline more and were like well if this kind of stuff happened I mean uh we'll have how does she cope with that you know she's no longer just kind of a uh you know passing NPC in passing, she's now got this backstory and it, it requires a little more fleshing out of how she deals with things in the, in the moment as an adult. I certainly deflect with humor, um, you know, and I know like having parents that had funny accents and, um, you know, were from other countries and I was sort of shuttled back and forth between Australia and um the United States as a kid and how just having that, just showing up to a country where you don't have the same accent or, you well, know, in, you in, don't have the on, same background. On that note, on that note, interesting fact about you, you not only have dual citizenship, don't you have tri-citizenship? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom's English. My dad's Australian. Um, and I, and I'm, so I have British by descent and I have Australian cause I lived there as a kid. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, that's, I think tying in and in, you know, that's one of the reasons I started doing voices is because I made fun of my parents' accents, you know, and kids made fun of my accent when I was a kid because I had an Australian accent and first I had an American accent in Australia. And, you know, so you, you learn that stuff as a, you know, as a way to cope. And I, and I was able to change my accent pretty quickly in order to kind of fit in. So um, who knows? I mean, it's all, it's all kinds of interesting things that you learn as a kid as, you know, ways to to cope. Um, And I, I certainly can relate to Amanda on many levels. And coping with things that go on in her childhood is something that's a key part when it comes to childhood trauma. Uh, A lot of people think, about trauma, and I've mentioned this in the show on multiple occasions, we need to differentiate between trauma with a capital T and trauma with a lowercase t. So the NIMH defines childhood trauma as the experience of an event by a child that is emotionally painful or distressful 
which often results with lasting mental and physical effects. But that's also very subjective to the person that suffers from what happened. Right. There can be a multitude of different things that can happen to an individual and a lot of people don't necessarily understand. So trauma, when we look at trauma to a child, we look at it in three different ways. Trauma from something that is done to a child, trauma from something that doesn't happen, or trauma because a child's parent or caregiver is affected by their own trauma. Mm. And there was a really big study done in the late 90s called the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, that studied more than 17,000 people in a long-term study. And they put uh, childhood trauma into 10 categories. So in one group, we had abuse of child, which was emotional, physical, or sexual. Then you had trauma in a child's environment, which would be parental substance abuse, parental separation and or divorce, mentally ill or suicidal household member, violence to mother, imprisoned household member. Then we have neglect of child, where we see abandonment and child's basic needs, uh, basic physical or emotional needs are unmet. And this can lead to long-lasting um, consequences to the child. With Amanda Holiday, it's refugee trauma and everything that she went through. So seeing her mom killed, her dad passing away, being left by her, uh, her friend that we don't really know what happened, uh, right. the sole survivor being uh, brought into uh, the city, not really knowing what this new environment is. It's a new culture compared to what she had been used to because she, in accordance to the lore, was theorized to be born during that refugee march. And where, you know, why are those people refugees? Where are they fleeing? Mm -hmm. You know, it, they're not, they're just not moving. They're clearly outlined as refugees. And so mm -hmm. they're fleeing something that's going on. Um, they're not just moving. And then collectively, um, what is that? Even though someone like Amanda's not born and raised in the before, she's born on the road. What does that do to her to be born into a situation where people are fleeing to somewhere else and what kind of collective trauma to that group of people is kind of imprinted on her? They talk, you know, um, there's studies shown that, you know, there's, and I don't know what the, the technical term for it is, but that, you know, there's generational trauma things yep. that happen to your, they talk about it with the Holocaust and what, what lasting impacts those have on not just the survivors, but the descendants of the survivors. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to unpack. Lot if, the native you know, community here. Yeah. One thing with Amanda holiday that we could look at is something called the false self. So childhood emotional drama can lead to the creation of what's called a false self. So as children, we want our parents to love and take care of us. We want our parents to do this, uh, and we try to become the child that we think they'll love. So we're adapting our behaviors 
burying feelings that might get in the way of getting our needs met. So we create a false self, the person that we present to the world. Uh, I often talk about this called the ought self. Within that refugee situation, she couldn't be just a six-year-old or a 10-year-old child. She needed to be helpful. She needed to be part of that refugee march or that camp and be useful. She couldn't just go along playing. So children can bury their their emotions, lose touch with who they really are, because their feelings are uh, because their feelings are an integral part of who we are. If we suppress all of those, and we just feel very lost. When are we live and our lives? Then you get those kids who are like little adults, you know. Exactly. I think Amanda probably did, you know, or kids that take care of their parents, or um, you know, you become like, how can I be of how can I be of value in this situation? And you get kids that are doing what she did, which is like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how I can make this all better. And then that carries her into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Parented childs uh, seem to be very well adjusted children, but they're suffering internally. They're always in conflict with their inner need to be a child and the external responsibilities that are placed on them not necessarily by choice. The role of a child is to be a kid. And we often forget that. And a lot of these refugees, these kids can't really be kids. Where they're in the caravan to march or they're in their their home country, they cannot be kids. In the way that first world countries define how childhood should be. They have worries, they have concerns that are very different than some other people can. And that has long-lasting effects. I've, always, I've often talked as well on the uh, cognitive triad of our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors. Thoughts generate emotion, emotion generate behavior. And a lot of these kids do behaviors not necessarily because it's something that they want to do, but it's because it's something that they feel they have to do. When it comes to uh, age-specific effects, it can vary. And for parents that are not necessarily in tune or understanding with what's going on, they can almost scold the child for what they perceive as bad behavior. But oftentimes it's a way for them to to try to let them or let someone else know that something's not going well. So for preschool kids, bedwetting, thumb sucking, uh, temper tantrums, uh, not playing with other kids their age can all be telltale signs of a child that went through something that is very difficult. When you look at middle to high school age kids, uh, they can feel shame or embarrassed, uh, feeling helpless, changes uh, in how they think about the world. They can have um, behavioral problems. So they'll tend to take on more because they feel they need to. If there's one thing that everyone should or I recommend take away from this type of conversation is 
if you notice something with a child that seems uncharacteristic with that child, don't brush it off. It might be nothing or it could be something greater. A lot of the adults that I see in my office that had gone through significant amounts of childhood trauma said that they just wanted someone to help them or save them from what was going on. Gotcha. Well, awesome. I think that's um, amazing. And I, and I hope that people also apply that to people, to kids that aren't theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's kind of amazing to me watching things on the news and having people not like, I can't watch the news and watch those, you know, the kids, the refugee kids, not, you know, getting traumatized and have people's, I would just urge people to really dig down into their, into their empathy for all kids, you know, and keep an eye out for all kids. Cause I do feel like so much of this stuff is, um, it's so important and, uh, and to extend it to everyone, you know, not just your own kids. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of time that, um, stuff like that, you know, needs a, uh, community response and community involvement where, you know, there, you know, there's such a thing as like natural community therapy where we all kind of get well, uh, together through our, um, experiences such as that. And and there are organizations. Yeah. And I think it makes a huge difference for those kids, any, any kids, you know, it's so true what you say about that. Like if you have been through trauma as a child, wondering when someone's going to come along and save you, um, that you can have such a huge impact on kids by stepping up for them, you know, I mean, your own and, and others. Right. I mean, you, you just kind of look at, you know, um, uh, vaccines that, you know, you, you can get your kids vaccinated and they'll, they'll build up an, uh, they will build up their own immunity to smallpox or whatever the hell it may be. But if a whole community does it, that's something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be effective, yeah. vaccine needs to be administered to ninety-five percent of the population. And the same, the same thing goes for uh, uh, your m- mental uh, health and wellness. That's why we have organizations uh, like here in Canada. We have CPS. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's called in in, in the states. Uh, Child Protective we Services. We probably don't have it. I'm just kidding. Yes, we do. Which is... We have to pay for that. (laughs) Thank you for coming on and making a child protective services joke. It's a first for us. (laughs) Really a first for us. Yep, yep, no. (laughs) But with... Yes. You have to pay for it, but we have it. If you have any reasonable doubt that something's going on, you should call. Any reasonable doubt... Absolutely. And that one call could save a child from a lifelong of pain and suffering. Yep. So are there some resources that you guys can, can, is there resources online that people can reach out to or um, you guys have CPS and, and how do people, do they just look it up? on online um is there like a 311 or something that you can call there how does it work 
So for here in Canada, uh, each province and each region in a province has their own office of CPS, which is mm -hmm. you have to go online, you figure out what's the number for your region, you call, they get you in touch with a social worker, they take their, your information, they take what you saw, what you believe is happening, they open up an investigation, and they'll take everything from there. They'll do in-home checks, they'll do school checks, they'll talk with neighbors, just to make sure everything is okay. And a lot of people th believe that social workers and CPS are there to take away the kids, taking away the kids, or the last resort. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and we need to oh, in, in, uh, in the United States, it's across all 50 states and all the territories as well. Any child can walk into any, um, any, anywhere where there's a mandated reporter. It's just that you, you can walk into any doctor's office, even if it's not your own doctor. You can walk into an attorney's office, even if it's not your attorney. Walk into any police station, hospital, anywhere, anywhere that offers any type of medical service or your schools. You can walk up to any one of them and say, I've, I'm, I'm in trouble here and I need help. You can do that anywhere in, in every single state and every single territory. You can do that anonymously. And you can go online as well to childwelfare.gov for the United States. And it also includes all territories, uh, all 50 states, Guam, Puerto Rico. You can go on there and it'll give you a state by state and territory by territory, uh, toll-free number, uh, local numbers, and their direct website for reporting anything. Plus, we also have a social worker that works with us in the project as well. Yep. Um, I know we, we, we kind of went over time. Courtney, do, 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 you need, do you need to hop off and uh, finish out your day? I do. I'm so sorry. It's you need to get awesome food. Talking to you, guys. you need to get <laughs> food. I do need, I need to give me some food and get back in the booth. I need some food. Awesome. Well, you're welcome well, to join with so us having me on. Oh, absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure. And um, thank you for popping our child protective services joke, Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm goes. glad that yet another great claim to fame is under my belt. Um, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on with us. It was yeah, an absolute so pleasure. Much. Thanks a lot, you guys. Thank Have you. an awesome evening. You too. And, Take and care. Enjoy everybody. your yeah. soul. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. She's so awesome. She's amazing. Yeah, we, she is. We, we, we got to get her back on with, uh, with Brandon. Oh, you know, oh, that would be would, awesome. He would probably love that. <laughs> <laughs> they sound like the same person almost. Um, <laughs> what about her? Brandon and uh, oh, who's the vice actress for Sloan? Uh, she just said her name. I don't know. Get all three of them. Hopefully, be if we could it'd be fun to get uh, Nathan Fillion on. Oh, <laughs> you try and nail down that guy. You try, dude. <laughs> his wife can't even get him for dinner. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, Jail, did you have anything more for a mental health topic slash uh, character analysis? Oh, no, we kind of touched on everything and like all topics that we do, I'm sure we're going to revisit and there's just so much to, to talk about. So I'm sure we're going to 
recircle back to this topic eventually. Absolutely. It's a big one to unpack. Yeah. There's a lot of different uh, avenues that we can explore and uh, bring some things to light and enlighten people more about this topic. It's a big one and affects a lot of people in, in the country and around the world. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, well, let's move on to some gaming news. I know we kind of kind of skipped over it uh, that we normally do in the intro uh, just because I know we were kind of on borrowed time with, uh, with Courtney, but what, what have you guys been playing? Uh, I haven't had much time to, to play anything, but I upgraded my solstice gear from green to blue. Mm. <laughs> so I'm still on the, the solstice gear grind. And I see Yanni, you don't even send me an invite. Uh, jerk. What rudest Canadian ever. <laughs> jerk. No. He, no. He's he's not he's not captain. He's private Canuck. <laughs> I was working on the character analysis at the meme at the same time. <laughs> multitasking exactly you, you know you, you, you i'm just saying we don't hear these excuses up front we we have to ask them first <laughs> it's like gonna voluntarily tell us yeah i was playing d2 while i was doing the character analysis <laughs> suck it stupid american i was doing research <laughs> awesome. yeah. uh, joe what uh what you been playing you, you've been on that d2 grind i'm on the d2 grind uh Kind of not so much this week. I, I have it on. I'm floating around in space, but I've been doing uh, other things with uh, uh, Crisis Text Line. So I've been kind of focusing on that a little bit. And I think I only really play been playing on the weekends, really. So I might pop in and do like a Crucible match and then pop back out. So every time I log out, I'm getting nowhere on this Solstice gear. <laughs> because it's like oh I'll jump in the crucible it's 10 minutes you know whatever or like five minutes and it's like yep oh wait that's right i've done three matches let me look yep haven't done anything because i already filled that up ah well forget it so but i'll be playing this weekend for sure <laughs> nice yeah i um uh i've been playing i i finally i bought um i bought it a while ago but i bought rise of the tomb raiders and i finally um Started playing that and uh, loving it. And I actually, I just bought um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider because it was on crazy sale. So Wait, gonna... did, did you hear that? Dave just got giddy. Yeah. <laughs> I could hear him, like literally. It's like he was in the room with us. <laughs> so while we're talking to Courtney, I texted him. I said, I hope you're super jealous. This woman is awesome. He's like, oh. Shut your face. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but no, I've been. Um, He'll be uh, able to, to, to live vicariously through the audio po- version of the podcast. <laughs> we did talk. On Twitch. We did bring him up. And, you know, yeah. We, yeah, we asked. Was, yeah. And we, we asked what he asked us to do. And I told him that. Um, she took good care of him, and he's very excited. She's like, you're going you're gonna to use your one coin on that. Okay. <laughs> Talk shit about him. It's great. That's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for in um, August when it drops, uh, when it fully converts over to Steam for Destiny, because I'll definitely give it a, a go on PC for a little bit. August 21st is the cross save, I think. Yes. And but I think Steam only comes out with the new light in October. On the 20th. Uh, 
because it's still on BattleNet until Shadow Keep drops, and that opens up um, new light on Steam. Uh, it's in Steam not until October first, according to Clear Night. And cross save is next week. Yep, I believe Clear that. Night just jumped Clear in the chat. Clear, us. Clear Night's like a sober Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Love them. Um, <laughs> so good. I, th- I think Clear Knight should change his um, his his uh, Twitter tag to at sober Elmer Fudd. <laughs> I love that. Thanks. You're welcome. No problem, dude. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, but but with Des- light coming out, I think it, that's going to have an influx of people. Well, yeah, it's good. Look at how Warframe did when they released their content for free just to get people in. I mean, they had millions of players that didn't even drop a cent onto the game and love it and enjoy it and are part of the community. Yeah, man. And Destiny's going to do the same thing with New Light. I mean, you're going to see a huge influx. But my concern really is uh, with the cross-save, going from like, PlayStation to PC with the exclusives, and I know not everything is transferable. So no, everything is. No, there were some things that weren't. Well, what you bought, so uh-huh. the, the pay the paid content is not transferable, but all of the gear that you have is. So I can bring my wave splitter. That's what you're telling yep. me. Shut your face! You're a liar. If you make your uh, PS4 your main account, WaveSplitter gets put o- pulled over to PC. So starting October 1st, there's no more platform exclusive. I don't even know what a WaveSplitter is, and I can see how much you've just blown just, Joe's Just get out, of here. <laughs> get out of here. And they also said um, <laughs> even if you haven't bought anything on uh, PC. So if you've been a PS4 player mm-hmm. and you just get new light to play with your friends on PC, whatever you've earned in D2 Forsaken or even Season of Opulence on PS4, you can play with it on the PC account, even though you haven't purchased that content. Hmm. Interesting. Well, when I do my big switch, I'm going to have you on the horn with me as my IT guy to make sure I do it right. So, you know, I'm really hoping to, um, to get a PC eventually so I can really try out destiny two on PC. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. No, you should tell Canadian prices. Well, yeah. And you're like eight or 10 years of student loans. Yeah. School student. (laughs) Um, expensive piece of paper. But speaking of D2 now, they did, I think it was uh, Luke Smith was talking about how they're going to be expanding their uh, microtransactions with new armor. Now, I want to put this in there because there's a bunch of articles from a bunch of different sources talking about how microtransactions is beneficial for Destiny 2. And that they they went pretty long about on how it's solely for cosmetic and that's what that's what funds all these live events. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it seemed like every excuse me, every proper like gaming news outlet put a really positive spin on it. Well he mentioned in 
uh, he released two articles. One, uh, I think it was on Tuesday, and one was today. I think he's releasing another one tomorrow. Uh, that they mentioned that the sales from the uh, Whisper of the Worm ornaments in Eververse completely paid for the development of Zero Hour, which is the mission for uh, the, um, how was it? The, the new, the uh, Res of Iron Pulse Rifle. Outbreak Perfected. Okay. So all of, everyone that bought the ornaments for Whisper paid for the development of that particular mission. And since Bungie's now right. independent, I, I have less of a problem buying microtransactions in D2 that I would just giving Activision my money. True. Well, it, it helped that... Uh the director of, you know, Destiny over at Bungie Studios outlined a lot of stuff and mm. pretty much hung a lot of things out there just to let everybody, all the community and players and everybody know what's actually happening behind the scenes. You know, what pays for what? This microtransactions is what paid for this epic little side quest. And this transactions paid for the next one. If we want more of those, this is the avenue that we go by. But also, I loved how he aired out pretty much like they can't sustain the entire game as a whole as it is right now and keep building on it. So something's got to go. And they brought up Gambit. You know, it's either going to be Gambit Prime or it's going to be the original. One of them's got to go. So well, they're, but- they're also reaching the max amount of uh, memory available on console. Well, dude, it's huge. It's like 120 gigs. I think it's more than that, but yeah, it's a massive shadow keep is a massive chunk of content. And I think it's crazy because like, I know like everyone was shocked to see the size of red dead two. Cause the red, like just the story of the game was like 105 or 110 gigs or something like that. And then add on to that right, for all exactly. the other stuff. It, it, I mean, it's gotta be almost 200 megabytes at this time. Gigabytes. You're <laughs> it's like Doom 64. Yeah. Because right now game. I have a, a two terabyte hard drive in my PS4 and it, it's filling up real quick. Oh yeah, well, no, I got a I got a a 250 internal and I have a, a two a two terabyte external and yeah. it's all full. <laughs> Is it really well you're like a madman for the you know whatever comes out PS for Plus. this month from PS Plus, it's like boom, 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 boom. You're, you must look like a blockbuster video on that freaking hard drive. Like, well, well, no, I mean, like, I have a lot of stuff on the hard drive, but like, I mean, just because like there's like with the PS Plus, I just add it to my library. I don't download it. You know that that, that <laughs> that's the glory of the PlayStation Network is that like you, like I think uh, I have 175 games total. Oh my god! On on my PlayStation account, but like I only have like maybe twenty on there. But like these game sizes are just huge now. Yeah, well, when you think back when was it Battlefield Four? When Battlefield Four <laughs> finished, it oh, was yeah like with their gigs. It's more than that. I mean, with if if you bought all it, that is if you bought all of the well, the DLC five. Was it, Five DLCs four. or four? No, four, four DLCs. No, there was a yeah. fifth. 
a fifth, it was a fifth smaller cool. one. Yeah, if you have all five DLCs and the base game, uh, I mean, it's it's like 200 gigs. <laughs> and base PS4 hard drives were only 500 gigs. So right the base, there, no, base ones are 250. I know that because that's what I have. <laughs> so hard drives are filling up real quick now. Oh, yeah. And, and they were mentioning that with D2, they're they're reaching that memory cap limit. So I don't know what they're going to be doing moving forward with the game because they can't really keep expanding on it. Because uh, when you think about it right now, we're reaching this new uh, DLC is the same time frame as Rise of Iron was back with D1. So technically, we could have seen the third Destiny coming next year, but I doubt that's coming next year. Yeah. Well, you know what? It might be coming next year because they said it early on. They're they can only they've they're hitting a ceiling at, at, at very shortly with the amount of content that they can have on this game and you know support it as developers. So they're gonna they're gonna have to come out with another another you know Destiny three, the Tricorn <laughs> to. Uh, carry that other kind, con- you know, the new content out on it because it's just too big. It's like, you know, it's not the old school days like final fantasy seven and 37 discs. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, oh, I remember those days. There's just like no discs anymore. So wasn't there a PS4 game that came out on two discs? Not, I don't know. Not that I know of. No, I think the two disc thing uh, was kind of like a PS1, PS2 deal back then. But I did notice that somebody uh, on Twitter, I think it was Swain Stash from uh, Everyone Podcast, his mother went to a garage sale and bought a bunch of old school like PS1 games for like dirt cheap. And at the bottom of the box was a, you know, black label Final Fantasy VII original with the manual and everything in it, like a freaking hidden gem. Sell that for some money. Oh, dude, people would go crazy. I have that box still from when I played it when I was in my parents' basement as like a 12-year-old kid, and I can't find the manual for it, but it's Not much has changed. Now you're in your wife's basement. No, now I'm in, well, so, no. (laughs) (laughs) Moving Uh, on. Yeah, um, the, the only other thing, it's not really gaming, it's just kind of like pop culture news. Uh, so the the Lion King remake that they did, it mm-hmm. unseated Frozen as the highest grossing animated film ever. Um, wow! Already grossing over one point three billion dollars. Um, That's a lot of money. As as a father of a now nine year old little girl, when Frozen came out, my whole life was Frozen for like three years. Frozen Two is coming out next year. <laughs> You shut your damn Canuck mouth. <laughs> but no, like I'm, I'm very, very satisfied. Did you see the Lion King movie? No, I haven't. I haven't even seen the, the remake. Yeah. So uh, we went a couple weeks ago to watch the, the new remake. It was good, but being a fan of the original animated one, I prefer the animated version of the movie compared to the new remake right it's funny because i enjoyed the remake of the jungle book more than the original animation jungle book was good 
but Wait, there was just something missing with the, this new movie. To me, it, it was still it was really good. Just yeah, just wasn't as good as the animated version. Not too. Well, they kind of are trying to put a new spin on all these yeah. classic favorites. You know, yeah. if they go for a one to one, it's not going to do <laughs> as successful. They have to change something to it. But they're planning to do it with every single oh yeah disney movie i mean if you look just do a google search you know uh, disney upcoming movies and you'll see yeah i think they have planned like eight of them there's already a trailer from mulan yeah and, and, and well what's just neat about someone for ariel as well what, what what's neat about the the mulan one is that they came around and said that's not a musical that this is like a, yep. uh, that this this is gonna be like a war movie which is different, you know, yeah. because they only just kind of like skim the outside of like the battles and everything like that. Right. I don't know. I want to see the damn dragon. That's what I want to see. Yeah, I want to yeah, see yeah. Eddie Murphy pick up the mic and get in a booth. And just be Eddie Murphy. Be Eddie Murphy as a little tiny red dragon. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, Eddie Murphy's slated to produce the um and star in the uh follow-up to beverly hills cop in like two yes i'm so excited for beverly hills cop by far my favorite 80s movie (laughs) hands down i i'll agree with that i didn't really like the first one i liked the second one second one is really good the third one (laughs) pretend the guy's gerald ford (laughs) strip club Yeah, that one was good. When they got to the theme park in the third movie, it was and weird. he had a gun that was like a Swiss Army knife that like yeah, the, it shot confetti, but it also shot rockets, you know? Yeah, it was made by the guy that was in the first one. Yeah, yeah. And he was in a show in the 90s called uh, Perfect know Strangers. Hmm. Balky Batakamas or something like that. It's something crazy, but the character is great in Beverly Hills Cop. He plays it so good, and he really steals the screen when he is yeah. on. But uh, Tilly, that that gun just reminds me of like something that would come out of Borderlands. It probably, well, it, well, it it reminds me of the gun in uh, Saints Row the Third. I never played that, so yes, yes, D Buck, yes, Balky baby, cousin Larry. <laughs> <laughs> you remembered it too. Palky baby. <laughs> See, me, me and Joe aren't crazy. <laughs> we haven't lost it yet. But um, I didn't have too much for gaming news. Did either you have anything you wanted to bring up? Uh, nothing right now. Uh, I think everyone's kind of saving their stuff for Gamescom coming yeah. up next week. In the, uh, the, the, the big, big, highly anticipated No Man's Sky update just happened. I haven't played in i haven't played it any it that looks much interesting yeah it does so i'm i'm gonna play it um this week or next week and then next time we're uh, on the show you're gonna play I'll with do, vr i'll do a little oh, i don't have vr <laughs> no 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 way that that game looks like it's made to really be played in vr now oh yeah for sure yeah I'll, uh me and um me and uh, sober elmer fudd will 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 have to play it <laughs> Um, <laughs> awesome. But um, 
that is uh, all we have for this week, I think. Courtney Taylor, she she had a hop off, but you can go to you check her out on Twitter. Um, I think her her handle is just Courtney Taylor. If you find our Twitter, you'll see an easy uh, link to it. You thank you all for joining the project this week. You can reach us on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, Discord, all those fun places. Just search uh, Project Guardians. You can go onto our awesome website, ProjectGuardians.org. All sorts of mental health resources, links to our our Twitter, our our. Uh, discord as well where there's uh, an amazing community there uh with there are some mental health professionals in there that can uh, help guide you towards uh whatever help that you need um you can listen to us on itunes podbean spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts you'll find us just search for saint 14 project podcast but that's all uh joe where can people find you on the internet uh you can find me in uh on the Twitter sphere, uh, just average Joe two, two, seven. And I see, I paused for a long time cause I'm just trying to think of a random number, how many discords I'm in. <laughs> it's like 32 now, but you can find me on discord and you can also find me on Twitter. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Yoki, where, where can people get at you? They can find me on the interwebs at SSJ five Goku 28. Awesome. Again, Davis in here this week, you can find him everywhere on the internet. Twitter, MySpace, Only Farmers, all those places. Uh, just find Hatchy Dave. Um, you can also find him at uh, Haha. You can make it when this awesome voice actor was on the show because you had to be at work.com. His user is Hatchy Dave on there as well. And I'm Sentinel Dad, also known as Alex. You can find me everywhere as Sentinel Dad on Twitter, extra D on the end, Twitch, all those fun places. Uh, but again, thank you all for joining the project this week, and we will see you next time.